What's up, everybody, and welcome to B2B Made Simple. If you're passionate about marketing, you're in the right place. Whether you're doing marketing for a brand new startup or a $100 million enterprise, you'll learn strategies that'll help you build a solid team, impact your pipeline, and look like an absolute rock star to upper management. Why? Because these guys are the pros. They're not pretending to know the industry, they're in the trenches on a daily basis. My name is Sam Moss. I'm the co-founder of One Click Agency. We build websites for B2B companies, and I'm also the co-host of this podcast. If your goal is to become the marketer everyone else looks up to, keep listening. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. I'm really excited to introduce my guest today. His name is Zach. Let me see if I get this right. Use Depsky. Um, Nailed it. He's my my new Canadian friend. Uh, he's the director of marketing at MyComply. Uh, Zach, really cool to have you here, man. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, as, as Sam mentioned, uh, my name is Zach Usdebski. He nailed the last name as well there. Um, director of marketing at MyComply. And MyComply is a Internet of Things hardware company with, with software, but really our mission, um, we're a construction tech company, and our mission is to uh, ensure that every construction site has a qualified workforce. So that's, that's highly trained people on their job site, people that don't have expired safety training, the right credentials, um, orientations, that sort of thing. So just making sure that everyone on site is qualified to be there and, and to perform safe work. So it really drives, drives us every day, and it's, it's, it's a fun thing to get behind. Yeah. Yeah. Before we hop into the agenda, we have a, a pretty cool topic I'm excited to cover today. Um, been trying to mix it up on the show a bit. Uh, are you a Pepsi or a Coke guy? Oh, man. I don't know if I can answer this. Um, my friend none. works none. for Pepsi, and uh, uh -oh. <laughs> but I think I'm a Coke guy, Coke Zero guy. Um, yeah, just get the flats at Costco from time to time. So <laughs> I, would say, I, would, I would say I'm a, a, a Coke guy. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I do enjoy Coke. I also like Dr. Pepper. So I think that's a Coke product Ooh, too. So nice. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, so agenda today is kind of dissecting what you guys did at MyComply. So mm -hmm. um, you started off, and if I get this wrong, correct me, um, but yeah. you started off as a really cheap SaaS tool early on. We were um, free for, for a while. Yeah. Oh, free. You're completely yeah. free. Okay. And then you guys moved into the enterprise model and really up, you know, scaled up what you were doing. So we're going to mm -hmm. dissect what that process was like. Um, so can you kind of explain like how that started and, and what that looked like for you before we get into it? Yeah. So MyComply was a free solution uh, prior to me even starting. So just the co-founders of the company, I joined at, at a very early stage of the company. Um, I believe I was the fourth or, or fifth hire, but uh yeah, the solution was free. And, and really the idea behind that at the time was um, a lot of the, the thinking behind blitz scaling, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a theory, but also a, a novel by Reid Hoffman with LinkedIn, just the idea of, of how network effects take place. And um, just the idea of an invite flow, um, sharing, sharing a, a free tool with, with industry folks um, in the construction space. And this idea that I guess behind some virality, I think where that maybe struggled to stick is the lack of tech adoption in the construction industry. And, and this past year has been crazy, especially for, for every industry. I think the one maybe good thing that's come out of COVID is, is the amount of tech adoption. And it's really hit our industry quite a bit. So, um, but I mean, at that time, 
there wasn't this huge push in the industry to adopt technology. So this, this whole idea of virality just really wasn't a fit, I guess, for, for our growth mm -hmm. model. And, and we made some, and, and we made a, pivot, a pretty significant pivot along the way. Um, in terms of like starting out as a free solution and then turning into an enterprise solution, that's not like, that's not your average um, pivot. That's a pretty fundamental change in your, in your business strategy and just the philosophy behind what you're doing. And I think for us, like we had quite a bit of adoption as a free solution, but maybe not as much as like you would be hoping for as a startup who, who is, you know, relying on virality to grow and to fundraise and that sort of thing. What was important for us is when we, we were a free solution, we had some great adoptions from some of the, the biggest contractors in the United States. And um, by listening to our customers, we were able to, to really realize, and this is a huge kudos to our customer success team um, and a big shout out to, to one of my colleagues, Adam, who is really uh, at the grassroots stages of the company, listening to some key clients who said, look, you guys aren't that far off from displacing some of our enterprise software. And we were mm -hmm. just a free solution, right? So I think the key to, to making any like fundamental business change, and of course this impacts marketing and it impacted my role. I joined mm -hmm. when we were still free. Um, so I was a part of the whole journey of making this switch. But um, I think the key to making any switch confidently is that you have some validation from your, from your clients. And that's, that's really what led us in that direction. It's just, it was, it was feedback and roadmap and direction um, from clients who are leaning in to say, Hey, you know, you can be an enterprise solution here that we would pay for and you're not far off. Mm -hmm. Man. I mean, I can't think of a better reason to make that fundamental shift from <laughs> product like growth to like a, an enterprise SaaS tool than mm -hmm. your customers telling you, I mean, that must've been pretty clear for you guys, right? Yeah, it was, it was, it was really clear. And you know what, you, you have to thank your, your clients and we, we consider them partners in a lot of ways, especially these folks who, who help us kind of lead this, this change. But I think you, you thank them, but at the same time, you're, you're almost developing like some sort of boutique solution for them because they get a really lead product development for a while. So it's a, it's a win-win. Um, mm -hmm. And really when, when you allow your customers who are industry leaders, professional professionals and, and uh, high level thinkers have some, some direction in what you're doing in your roadmap, that's a, that's a huge, huge win for not only product development, but to acquire new customers because a lot of the pain that these folks feel is the same that, you know, uh, an enterprise size contractor in, uh, in Los Angeles would feel as, as the same as some of these, these contractors in New York city that were, were leading this change. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, a little off topic, but we'll go yeah. down this road here. Uh, sure. how close do you work with your customer success, um, team very close. as a marketer? Yeah. Yeah. Very close. Um, actually yesterday I just, uh, slid into their team channel, um, and just asked them, Hey, do we have any clients who are, uh, who are willing to, to do some case studies, some project spotlights? And uh, they're always happy to introduce me to those folks. I also feel too, as a marketer, um, if you have an opportunity to interview and to get um, information right from the source, rather than hear it from your team, but to hear maybe one of your clients rave about what they love about your solution and how they use it in the day-to-day, -day, it makes you a lot more impactful and efficient in how you're going to tell the story. Right. Cause you're hearing it mm -hmm. right from, from, uh, from your clients. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's very true. Um, so going back to you guys started as a free tool, you moved into enterprise. Um, what was the shift looking like for you as a marketer? So you started yeah. product like growth. Um, where did you go from there? Can you explain like the evolution of that? Totally. Yeah. So I think really, and we still were a free solution when we started to, to, we had a few enterprise clients and we started to develop a solution. So we we're kind of offering twofold. Like we were still offering our free solution, but then we had some enterprise enterprise clients who were paying and mm -hmm. we've kind of, we've kind of blended things since, but I think really when you're, when you're pushing for like anything, any ideas behind network effects and virality and product led growth, you're really looking to market in a way that's very hands-off. Um, you're just looking to drive traffic. You're looking to drive eyeballs. You're looking to drive conversions. And that also impacts the way that the software is built, right? Like there's, there's mm -hmm. going to be share with my friends and share, share this project, share this information so that, you know, your brand is just kind of spreading out and branching out. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, in, in terms of like what tactics um, are important or were important to us at the product product level is just building a lot of content that is going to drive people to your website. Um, we blogged a lot early and then we had this big lapse of, of where we weren't doing a lot of content writing because we were in the middle of kind of feeling out this, this big change. And now we've, we're kind of still, I mean, we were always committed to it, but now we've kind of doubled down there, but yeah, at the product led level, you're just kind of looking to build your inbound funnel and bring in a lot of kind of really top of funnel traffic. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, when you transition into an enterprise model, it's a lot of, it's, it's a different way of thinking altogether um, because you don't necessarily have to worry about filling thousands of, of leads potentially, or, or just a ton of traffic at the top of the funnel. You can do a lot more um, targeted marketing, targeted campaigns. You can work a lot closer with your sales team. So maybe mm -hmm. a lot of marketing's work is just to build awesome sales enablement materials. Um, so that your sales team has really compelling uh, demos and, and, and gets people um, to buy in and close faster. So I think, yeah, it's, it's a big change, but you don't necessarily completely forget everything you're doing um, when you're at the product level phase, when you, when you make changes um, into an enterprise model or, or elsewhere. Yeah. So what are you guys doing now uh, for marketing? Cause you can't really do yeah. too much of the product like growth, right? Yeah, no. So I think one thing that you, you maybe you don't want to get away from stuff that still works for you. So, I mean, we were still seeing good traffic to a lot of the, the pieces we were writing. Um, you know, when you identify a string of keywords and stuff that are relevant to you, you still want to be a thought leader there and you still want to own that, whether you're, you're offering a free solution or an enterprise uh, solution. So mm -hmm. I think for, for us, um, what's important, what we still do is, is we write content. And actually we just hired uh, an individual last week or the week before Brock. Um, he's a rock star and he, he's really owning a lot of this content. So, you know, we're not, we're not moving away from it. And a lot of it's in a lot of respects, we've doubled down because when something works, just because you've made a fundamental change with your business, doesn't mean that you have to change the way that you're, you're marketing mm -hmm. if certain things are working. Yeah. Um, so are you guys doing any ABM now? I know we had kind of touched on this before we hopped yeah. on. So what is the strategy, um, when it comes to marketing, obviously you mm -hmm. guys are continuing what you already did, which is great. Um, I do agree with that. What is the strategy when your developer said, Hey, the enterprise 
tool is, is done. Here you go. Yeah. So I think account-based marketing is definitely something we've started to do here um, in the last little while as we've, made, as we've made these changes. I think a lot of, in a lot of respects, we're, we're just more so trying to build one-to-one relationships with a lot of our, mm-hmm. our key clients. And really, when we say key clients, that all starts with really knowing who your ICP is. Mm-hmm. So obviously, in making a big change, like when, when you're a product-led growth model, your ICP is probably someone who can self-service themselves, who uh, understands technology, isn't going to bug your customer success team a lot, and is willing just to dig in and use the product. Um, and again, that's it's a free solution. So mm-hmm. at, that, at that time... Um, but your ICP obviously changes when you're, when you're moving into an enterprise model. So I think one key thing that we did at our company was really push for the need to re- revisit what our ICP, our ideal customer profile is at MyComply. And that involved, you know, talking with customer success and talking with sales and talking with you know, our business facing teams, as well as some of our developers to say, okay, who is ideal in the way we service them, in the way we sell to them? in terms of what their ACV might be. Um, And so I think that for everyone to identify, so again, yes, we're doing ABM, but that all started with identifying uh, who's important to you and who's most ideal uh, for for your team to sell to and to service. So yeah, ABM started with that that conversation around your ideal customer profile. And then from there, it just, I mean, the construction space for us is really saturated with, with um, at the top, there's what's referred to as the ENR top 400. And I mean, construction technology solutions across the world really look at this list and that's your, that's your goal. If you can land one of those clients, that's a top 400 contract in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, everyone's going after them. So you have to also look at mid-market. But it, to say that they're ideal is, is absolutely true. So if you can start to understand how those types of businesses, those 400 businesses operate and how you can sell to them um, and how your solution works for them, I think that it's really important. And then for us, um, in terms of ABM, we look at markets where we have a lot of traction. Uh, our industry is a lot of word of mouth, a lot of committees and safety boards and stuff where, you know, Sam, you and I might be in the space and we might be sitting right next to each other in, in, in a meeting. And then we have some time to network and, and we talk about our technology stack. So I think what's important to us in our ABM campaign right now is um, staying focused on markets where we have some traction. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this even ties back to like, we look at virality in the product led model, that's sharing, sharing solutions and really pushing um, the network effect. Well, the network effect still can take place at an enterprise level. Um, so, you know, by focusing your ABM efforts on one market, um, you win four or five, six contractors in that space, you might start to see a bit of a domino effect. Um, and then you can start to apply some ABM efforts into another market and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I like a point you brought up here. We'll, we'll backtrack a little bit. Yep. Um, it was the uh, it was kind of the ideal client trap um, because whether you're doing ABM or not, I mean, ABM is just such a fancy word for just marketing. If you think about it um, and, and, and knowing your customer. In my <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so you mentioned that you guys, you had like a top 400 that you could have gone after, but you were willing to, that would be great, but everyone's going after them. And the same would be for me. I mean, it'd be cool to go 
build Stripe a website, probably be 300K, right? Yeah. But that's just yeah. not going to happen there. Yeah, it's an ideal client, but it's just not realistic. Um, so for you guys, uh, how did you kind of navigate that to make sure that you weren't getting the the, the stars in the, the sky and saying, hey, we want to go after these top 400? You can, but we also need these mid-market. What was that conversation like? I think, I think if, I think just the, the opportunity, like your total addressable market, when you only look at 400 companies is rather small, especially mm -hmm. for the grand scheme of, of how big the construction space is and how much spend there is there. There's a lot of successful companies that are beyond and technology forward companies that are beyond that list of 400. Now we have a variety of contacts and, and current partners uh, within that list of the in our top 400. And a lot of those are the folks who helped us, you know, really realize that we can be an enterprise solution. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're never going to turn away, but at the same time, I think what you realize with a list like that, when it's so publicly available and when you know um, that ABM or, or just this idea of, of fishing with spears for, for these types of, of contacts, mm -hmm you know that everyone else is going to be looking at that list too. Um, it's important to not exactly, like you said, not get too distracted by it because mm -hmm. if you, Sam, work at one of those companies, can you imagine how many technology providers and, and people are trying to get a hold of you to get some of your time? And mm -hmm. uh, exactly. So we, we just, we didn't, you know, we're not going to turn away those conversations and we definitely seek them out, but to expect um, results with that group is, is a bit naive in the, f in the sense that you're not the only person emailing them. So, or, or calling them or trying to get a hold of them. So I think just a, when you look at the total addressable market and sure a, a significant portion of it is owned by that group, but there's a lot more, there's a lot more contractors out there. And I think that if you spend a little bit more time doing research, um, into some of those mid-market contractors in our case, um, you can find a lot of gold there too. So it's not that we, we don't um, do ABM for some of these, these contractors, especially if they're in the markets that we're looking to, to, uh, to win. But yeah, it's, I think just having a good understanding that yes, someone might be ideal, but if you have to prospect and try and win their, their attention, um, a few hundred percent times harder than you would for someone who's maybe more willing to take a phone call and, and talk to you. Um, maybe it isn't, isn't worth all your time. So we just try and do a mix of both. And I think what's important with marketing, Sam, as you would know, is experimenting. So we're always, you're, I think for that's sure. the best, the most exciting thing about marketing and most exciting thing about my job is that sometimes you don't have all the answers until you've tried something. And um, I think it's, it's constantly looking at refining and tweaking and seeing what works. So we're, we're always going to be doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so are you guys still doing product led growth or have you outgrown it completely? So we aren't, we aren't offering like a, a free solution per, per se. Um, and, mm -hmm. and the part of the reason why we're not doing that anymore is our customer success team um, does a really great job onboarding and spending time with our enterprise clients um, to spend any time with someone who's, who's really not 
providing us any return in terms of to our bottom line is, is a bit of a distraction for those folks, especially when we have other clients, you know, who, whose ACV is closer to like half a million dollars a year. You don't necessarily want to, to split your time. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was more so in respect to, to those individuals. And, and then, also just, I mean, our solution has matured and matured. So it's just, yeah. it's not really, it's not really worth um, offering as, as free. So in terms of our, our position there, we, we aren't offering a free solution, but I would say that some of the tactics that we implored as a marketing team, as a free solution have stuck around like content writing, um, like, like building um, some authority around different, different keywords, whether it be long tail, short tail, just trying to, to be a thought leader um, to build up your, to, to optimize your, yourself for search. And I mean, search engine marketing is, is always important to us. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that if you are a thought leader, um, whether you're a free solution or an enterprise solution, um, it's best to start writing about that stuff and, and to, and to start to be found, um, for, for those topics and those themes that, that you can speak to and that you're intelligent, uh, to, to have some ideas behind and talk with your clients and that sort of thing. So, yeah. And it sounds like you guys really, um, you brought up the term stacked growth. Um, yeah. you knew what worked before and even though your, your go-to-market strategy really shifted, it, it kind of didn't, I mean, your product did, uh, now you're an enterprise tool. Um, but you looked at what was working, the content, the, the search engine marketing, and you said, let's build off that. Right. Absolutely. I think, the most important thing to think about for stacking growth is you don't ever want to abandon something that's working. I mean, we talk about experimentation. The reason you try so many, and you know, if we're making a pivot as a business or, or a, a fundamental change, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to drop in terms of what you're doing for marketing, that you have to drop something that's working just because your business is making a change. And we're going to continue writing great content. We're going to continue to try and build up some, some thought leadership and some authority behind some of these, these keywords um, when we are doing that as a free solution. And we're going to continue that as, as we run ABM. And so, you know, sometimes that me- might mean hiring another individual for your team. Um, if, if your bandwidth is, is strapped, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to stop content writing and, and optimizing your business for search because you want to do ABM. So yeah, stacking mm-hmm. growth is, is really important. And I think a lot of companies don't do stacking growth because they look at their bandwidth and they either don't hire someone or they don't, they don't, you know, they don't have a way to expand their bandwidth to take on a new task. So they mm-hmm. feel that the only way to accomplish ABM in, in this case is to subtract something. <laughs> and I don't agree with that. That's when it's, now shiny object syndrome instead yeah. of an opportunity, right? Well, yeah. And then, like, you don't necessarily know that something's going to work when you start yeah. doing something else. Right. So if, if I take out content writing and, and building some authority and, and doing search engine optimization for um, ABM and ABM doesn't end up working, but you need to, you know, you need to give it a good three to six months to measure anything. You've just, you've just left this huge window of opportunity and you've left it behind um, in that three to six months where you could have been still building your, your content out. You could have still been pushing out uh, more and more blogs or getting on podcasts or just getting your name out to build up 
your backlinks, your domain authority, everything. Um, yeah, I just don't agree that subtracting something uh, for the sake of bandwidth is, I think that's really where you as a marketer need to pound the table uh, to, your, to your leadership group or to whoever it is to say, hey, look, this really worked for us. We're going to try something new. We don't know if it's going to work. And, you know, we don't want to necessarily give up something that works just to, just to try something else. And it might work really well too, but why not have both working at the same mm -hmm. time? Um, I just thought of this. I mean, a, a distraction and a, a shiny object syndrome are basically the same thing as an opportunity, but it's how you go about it. So if you go about it and cut out what you're doing in the past, just to go chase something that looks cool, that would be an example of shiny object syndrome. And could it work? Yes. I mean, the new thing that you're doing, but you just mm -hmm. lost all the traction that you had before. But if you can somehow stack the growth and continue what you were doing in the background, get a team in place to go try the new thing, you have way more, uh, way more of a chance at success. And you also have the safety net behind you, even though you're doing the exact same thing, going the exact same direction. It's all about how you go at it, right? It's, it's hedging your bets, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think whether it's marketing or anything, if someone has a good thing going for them in life, you don't need to abandon it. If you want to try, <laughs> try something else, you know, if, if you really enjoy health and fitness, you like going to the gym every day, but you want to start doing um, podcasting. Well, you know, both take up time in your day and both take up bandwidth, but I don't necessarily believe that because you have a good thing going for you in, you know, your, your health and fitness routine, that when you want to start podcasting, you should stop. It just, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense. So. Yeah. Yeah. Totally right. It's, it's turning everything from the shiny object into an opportunity. It's possible, but it's mm -hmm. how you go about it because yeah. dropping it is when it's the shiny object. Cause you bounce from thing to thing. It's when you stack it, everything becomes an opportunity, even though it's the same exact experiment, I guess is the best way I can put it. Mm -hmm. And you, you like, you said it well, like, I think a lot of times shiny object, object syndrome, um, it kind of has like a negative connotation. It's like, oh, that's just a distraction. Sometimes mm -hmm. it can be a really good thing, um, yeah. but it, it can't, it can't be a distraction that takes you away from things that are working, um, things that are, are tried and true. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, you, you make a good point there. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of a nice uh, segue into the last part of what we have going here. So we're trying to mix up the show a bit where we, we flip roles. So um, have you ever hosted a podcast before? Because you're about to. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> I, I haven't, Sam. I have not yet. So we're going to reverse roles and you're, you have the opportunity now to ask me some questions to close out the show here for a few minutes. Um, so is there anything on your mind that you're just itching to ask? Yeah, I think just in terms of what I have uh, seen from you, Sam, and what I guess I'm starting to learn um, from you. And we, we've been connected here for a little while uh, via LinkedIn and we've had some good conversation, but I think what's really important um, that I'm starting to notice and something you do very well is, is your personal brand and building that and um, engaging a lot of content, whether it be LinkedIn or elsewhere. I mean, your podcast is great as well. My question to you is for folks like myself um, who have spent a lot of time looking to build, maybe it's a startup brand or have devoted a lot of their time and energy to their company's brand, brand but have kind of neglected their own personal thing. 
Um, what would you, what, why would you suggest to have a bit more focus on your personal brand and where would you start? Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll address why it's important first and foremost. So for me, I'm in a very different situation than someone who's working at a company because I own my own business. So my brand is my business. My business is my brand. I'm my business. It all ties together. Um, so of course it's very attractive to me to promote myself, which promotes my business. I have a, a massive financial stake in the success of my company right now. Let's say someone is, so that's why it's great for me to have a personal brand. Um, so we'll put that off to the side. If you do not have a financial stake in a company, um, I would argue that you kind of actually do. So with a personal brand, one, it's going to go with you wherever you go. And I know the, the term personal brand is so cliche. Everybody uses it, but you know, for, the, for this example, it, it, it works. Um, let's say you were to leave the company that you're at. People are hiring for, they're hiring people with audiences, especially in the sales world. Uh, more often than not, but I would argue in the marketing world too, it's really attractive to hire someone that has a reach, whether they post about the company uh, they work at or not. I mean, what it's going to be in your headline. It's going to be all over your LinkedIn. People are going to know because they, they follow you. Um, so that is really attractive for a company to see. I mean, I own a business that's attractive, attractive for me to look at when it comes to who would be on our team. Um, and I'm not the only one that thinks that. So as for why it's important, I would argue that, that that's why, um, whether you're going to start up your own company down the road, you'll have an audience to start with or not. Um, just being attract an attractive hire and an attractive employee is a great, is great incentive, uh, to me. Um, so the, your next question was, uh, how, right? Like where to start? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where to start? If you're in the B2B world, it has to be LinkedIn, in my opinion. Um, just because it's it's not a mature platform yet, starting on Facebook and Instagram and even YouTube, I mean, you're fighting against so many people because it's so oversaturated. So LinkedIn, you have a lot of opportunity. There's The concept has been proven that especially B2B marketers can build a brand there, salespeople, anyone in the B2B sphere can build a brand there. Um, so that's where I would start. Um, as for how, you have to think about who the audience is that you want to build. So are you looking to, I, I guess I would back up and say, what are you passionate about? You're, you're a marketer, you love it. I love marketing, I love uh, running a business. Um, so those are things I talk about and it attracts the right audience. Um, so if you wanna get started with that, I would definitely pick something you're passionate about because it's going to get old really, really fast if you don't like talking about it, because that's all you're going to do when it comes to personal brand is offering value, talking about a certain topic. And if you get bored of it, uh, then that's too bad. But it's really, really hard um, to get bored of something you're just naturally excited about. I love that. That's great advice. Um, I guess my last question is for you, Sam, and this may not be for everyone who builds their, their personal brand. Um, but what type of impact does, does doing a podcast, does posting um, daily on LinkedIn and commenting and, and paying attention to, to being relevant in the feed and doing a lot of that yourself, what kind of impact does that have on your business um, that, that you own? Mm -hmm. um, it has a really solid impact. And the reason is, is we're top of mind. We have a podcast. 
we're posting on LinkedIn and I thought we'd do more than that, but I guess it's really just those two things. Um, but we do them a lot and people are starting to come back to the podcast. We're getting a lot of feedback on it, which is great. So there's a brand play and people are seeing my personal brand, my, my LinkedIn posts, hopefully every day, obviously people don't see it every single time, but that's all right. But that's the whole point post daily because you never know who's going to be seeing what people might get on the platform every few days. And I think that really kind of ends the argument of, should I be posting once a week, every couple of days I've found, I want to be in front of potential customers as much as possible. Um, would, would I post more than once a day? Probably not, but I think posting once a day is a great place to start. It's attainable. You can batch your content. That means just write it ahead of time, maybe for the week. Don't schedule it out, but post at the same time. Just get it ready to go out. Um, Copy it down in your notes, record a video, whatever it may be. And just think of the long-term. How many times are people seeing you in the feed, whether they engage with you or not? Um, I would way rather be people be seeing me once, once a day instead of once a week or every couple of weeks. Um, and it, I can see it paying off for sure. That's awesome. I can say right now, I see you every day and I love good. it. That's so I good think you share some awesome <laughs> stuff. And I think it definitely inspires someone like me to, uh, to kind of take some more onus on, on building my own personal brand. Cause a lot of times I do feel like, you know, I have something important to share or some insight and, um, whether it be, you know, small engagement early, um, it, it doesn't really matter, right? Like you, you just, you have to start somewhere. What's, mm-hmm. what's day one look like? So, yeah, I, I remember I, I started posting on LinkedIn probably a little under a year ago. I was mm-hmm. bored cause we were, you know, Corona was yeah. raging, right? I was bored at home and I heard someone, uh, a friend of mine, James Carberry, I had him on my podcast a long time ago and we kind of have kept the connection and I listened to his podcast every once in a while. And they were saying, Hey, we're on LinkedIn and it's a great place to explore. And I said, you know, maybe I'll try this out. And I was getting three or four likes on posts. And I was like, yes, wow, this is so cool. Like the organic reach here. And I mean, it, looking back, it was not good content at all. It was, it was horrible, but it really gave me like an appetite to continue. And I did. And here we are a year later and the impact it's, it's had has been pretty awesome. Well worth it. Um, but you have to start somewhere for sure. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. That's great advice for myself and hopefully a lot of people that, that follow you as well. Yeah. The worst part is I had a, a really good point. Totally forgot what it was. So we'll just end it right there. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was going somewhere with that, but I, I just ended it right there because I don't remember. I'll probably remember as soon as the podcast is over. But anyway, um, Zach, we'll end it right here. It's been awesome having you on the show. Uh, really loved the deep dive into what you guys are doing at MyComply. Um, appreciate you being here, man. Thank you. No problem, man. And uh, you've got a, another Canadian ally. I know you've got family north of the border, but uh, just reach out if you ever want to chat and, and hopefully uh, extend the same offer because it's, it's been a great uh, partnership, relationship, and just I appreciate everything you're doing, man. Hey, thanks so much. Good talking to you, man. Take care.